I think we're live, Tony. Um, welcome to another episode of Unhacked. Tony, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, guys, I'm, I'm here with Tony Rucci. Now, I was introduced to Tony through one of my vendors, and I just asked him, I'm, I'm looking for people to come on here. And uh, honestly, what I do, so Tony, just a little background on this podcast. Um, I, You mentioned when we were talking beforehand about sleeping at night. <laughs> I don't sleep well at night because my job is making sure people stay in business through protecting their their computers or data, their personal information from cyber attacks. Um, and then also, as you pointed out, you know, fixing printers in the middle of the night too. So, right. Um, anyway, so it's, this, this job is, it's intense. It's, there's never a dull moment. And because so much is on the line, I love to have people checking my work. Um, I believe we all have major blind spots. And so while I will go out to my clients and call myself a cybersecurity expert and I can look them in the eye and I can say that and I can be comfortable with it, I still want guys like you looking over my shoulder, right? So that's that's why you're here. I really appreciate you being here. Um, and just as a quick introduction, guys, Tony is, and I mean, some of this stuff I'm looking at and just thinking, damn, I am not a cybersecurity expert um, because uh, this is pretty impressive stuff. Counterintelligence special agent and U.S. Army warrant officer with more than 39 years of technical security experience. So I can't claim most of that. Um, that that's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, you've been involved in uh, private and public government sector, right? Right. So tell me a little bit. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is that you do penetration testing, which we also call pen testing. Yeah. I imagine that if I was to talk to pretty much any of my clients and say, hey, would you like us to run a pen test on your network? They're going to look at me and just say, how much does that cost? Because they don't even know what else I'm saying. So could you just tell us a little bit about what a pen test is? Because that that's kind of your focus, right? Isn't that mostly what you do? Yeah, it is. It, it's really split right down the middle. We do the proactive security solutions, okay. which involve the penetration testing and vulnerability assessments, as well as the you know incident response. When things go sideways for somebody and they get compromised, whether it's a data breach or leak or uh, ransomware is, is kind of the, the you know, the most popular and familiar term with a lot of folks these days, you can't turn the news on. So we we respond to those types of incidents as well. Okay. So you're doing incident response, which probably is less fun than a penetration test, I would guess. Is that correct? It is because it's it's very, in a lot of cases, very disorganized and it's triaging up on the front end. You're really just trying to understand the landscape because in most cases, it's somebody that I've not worked with in the past. And a lot of our business is word of mouth. Somebody just calls you up and says, you know, go get on a plane, have one of your guys get on a plane and, you know, either show up or we're going to send you hard drives, that kind of thing. And no, fun. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, kind of the, the reason for this podcast, I, I mean, there, I have a lot of reasons that I'll probably talk about, but um, one thing is that I, I like my clients to understand that, you know, because you're talking about incident response, you can go in, you can. Um, and try to dig them out of the hole that they're in. But it's, I think we can all easily agree that um, it's much better to prevent this stuff, right? Absolutely. So incident response, this is this is nightmare. This is worst case scenario that you're, you're drug into. Uh, you don't have a lot of information. Um, nobody wants to be in that situation. 
Um, the, the title here, I call it unhacked. And what I, what I'll say, the longer version of the title is most, and I'll, I'll put 97% on there. That's kind of the number that I've found to be accurate, but 97% of breaches were preventable with basic security measures in place. But once you get hit, you cannot get unhacked. And so the unhacked title is kind of a, uh, maybe even a misnomer, um, or, or a false lead in because we're not going to talk about how to get unhacked because I personally don't think you can. I mean, at one right when you, when you go in and do these instant responses, uh, you're not coming out a hundred percent the way you went in. Or like, right? Isn't the client like there? There is loss. There is major loss, major damage. Correct. There's always something in the background there. There's always that question, Mark. You're never going to be back to what you might consider a hundred percent if you were ever there, um, and right. you, you seldom have you know, a hundred percent data recovery in those instances. It's, it's, you know, you got yourself back in functional operational, you've recovered 80% of your data because, you know, recoveries don't necessarily work out as planned right. if they even have them or they have to rebuild or, uh, rebuild that data. And if they paid the attackers and decrypted the data, a lot of times there's some corrupt data down that chain somewhere where they still don't get it all. And it, it, you hate to use that answer of it depends. You know, there's always that it depends. Yeah. And that's just an IT, you know, standard line in a lot of cases, but it's very, very true there. And, you know, yeah. one of the big questions is, all right, after we get done and we and we button down, you know, all the hatches and we lock this all down. Well, the, I like your term because a lot of people say, or the commissioners or whoever might be, you know, do, we're going to be unhackable, right? I said, oh, no. You know, you might get compromised tomorrow night. Right. Uh, but you're going to be in a better, you know, sense of recovery. You're going to have a better methodology. And, you know, th there's so many different ways that it goes sideways beyond the initial hack uh, or breach itself. Their recovery strategy, if they have one, their incident response plan, who they bring in, their transparency to their clients, the public, if they're a public entity, you know, and they have to have public disclosure meetings and, you know, do, are they transparent? You always hear the, you know, yeah, just a couple hundred emails and that's all it was and no private data, no PII. And you go, whoa, first report's always wrong. Wait, wait a couple of weeks. They do a little <laughs> bit more diving and then it's, oh, okay, well, we give you an update. It's 1.5 million accounts and passwords and credit cards and everything, you know, is out the window and you go, ah, there you go. Now we're pregnant. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's that that's kind of the line that I run with is it's you can't get on once this happens, like yeah. just it, it's a mess. It's a nightmare. And if nothing else, you're losing uh, emotional energy, like the the drain. I, I'm sure you could tell stories about how uh, I was I opened this with talking about not being able to sleep for fears and worries. But, man, when you're in the trenches, that's a whole different story. Now you're really not sleeping. Right. Because you don't even know if you're coming back. There's no sleeping during yeah. triage and you know, ransomware recovery. Yeah. I, I tell this story to a lot of the folks when I'm, you know, kind of doing intros or something like that. And and we're talking, they're always talking about the op tempo and the craziness, uh, the chaos and the storm of, of recovery for ransomware. And I'll fly out across country, you know, responding and a couple of us will converge on a site. We show up out there after flying all day and we go straight to work and start cracking gear open and we start uh, uh, triaging. And then, you know, the, the 
host IT guys, they'll start packing up and, and four o'clock and I'm going, where are you guys going? Oh, going we're going to go to dinner and uh, my wife's <laughs> making lasagna tonight. And I go, what are you ordering pizza or something there? There's no... And it was like, yeah, I've been here since 6 a.m., so I've already put in my 10, da- 10 hours. They're not going to do overtime. I said, there's no sleep during ransomware. You know, right. <laughs> We're here for about three or four days before anybody's going to a hotel. I don't even check in, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just nightmarish. Makes you feel bad when you care more about their network than they do in a lot of cases. That's a tough, yeah, that's a tough situation to be in. I, I kind of have a personal philosophy that I can't care about your stuff more than you do. Yeah. Uh, however, in this case, it actually turns out to be the other way around. So, um, yeah. okay, so this is what we want to avoid, right? This is my whole mission in life is to get people, like never let them get to that situation. I know that's not 100%. You can't do it 100%. We could come pretty damn close. Yeah. Right? We can We can do a lot of things to prevent this from happening. And one of the things you do is the penetration test. So tell me, let's do layman terms right now. And I may, you know, prod you for a little bit more details. But if you were just talking to somebody who knows nothing about technology, what is a penetration test? In in very raw terms, it's trying to break into that business network. I, I, I'll caveat things. I don't do you know, uh, residential work. When people call me at their house and say, hey, can you come break into my home network or can you come provide consulting my home network? They don't want to pay business prices. You know, they want to pay $20 an hour like the guy down the break fix <laughs> shop down, down the road. Um, but, um, you know, we, we focus on emulating the most realistic adversary for their business uh, sector. Uh, you know, if somebody were a competitor or somebody wanted to take your co- your network down, um, how would they do it? And, ha- you know, where would they get information to be able to compromise? So we, we take it from that macro to micro. What kind of information is is out there about that organization or that company that is in public domain, data leaks, website misconfigurations, those basic things, and use that as we collapse in, you know, the wireless inspection, looking for crosstalk between, you know, can somebody connect up to your guest wireless and see your production, your business network inside? Um, and and then we look at the business network itself from the inside out. And so it's really looking at the vulnerabilities that are there. What are the broadcasts? What are what are the the very clear telltale signs? And then the business process themselves, the policies, procedures. Do you have a resilient backup strategy? Are you using multi-factor authentication? Do you have default credentials on your on your network appliances and everything connected? Usually, printers or answer is yes. And <laughs> you know, are you updating, patching? Um, you know, and do you have a methodical incident response plan in place? If it does go sideways at some point, it might. And you know, it's either you or your business partners or somebody you're you're vending with. Um, it goes sideways. You've got to have that process in place that makes life a lot easier. And so we help them all the way down that road. So it's it's some companies will say we want you to come in brute force, just take us down, act like you're the Russians, and and come at us. You know, we got new firewalls up there. I says, man, you don't want that. It, it, it'll be a thirty minute job. And we'll be done and your network will be broke. And so, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of ways you can really stage that. And we even call them for a lot of organizations that we know they don't have a lot of resiliency. We call them passive network assessments. We identify that vulnerability and instead of attacking it and proving to them that we can break yeah. their, their firewall 
you know, uh, process down. We snapshot it and, you know, demonstrate to them, you know, here's, here's what we found. Here's why you should care. Cause here's some known threats and proof of concept. Exactly. We can peel it off and do it in a virtual machine for them and, and, you know, demonstrate the exploit. Okay. And, you know, here's how I would remediate it if it were in my stat. And then we provide them the technical references for, you know, for their IT folks there and, you know, click, here's how you reconfigure your firewall. You've got old, you know, configuration on it. Here's how you can, you know, build whitelisting, blacklisting, that kind of thing in there. Okay. Perfect. So, um, give me an example. So my client base is where we, we handle a lot of smaller clients. So usually a hundred computers and lower. Do you work in that space as well? Or are you more on the, uh, like larger, you know, it, it, it varies because oh. I do a lot of, uh, state, uh, right. Level uh, entities uh, for the insurance communities and the insurance pools. And so they're the people who are paying for cyber liability coverage. And so we evaluate the risk for them for the, okay. uh, for the insurance pools. And so we're doing the penetration testing, or, or in a lot of those cases, the passive network assessment, because they are those smaller, uh, small townships and counties where they may only have 50 computers in their entire space. And they got one domain controller, if they even have a domain controller. So they may be just running it like a home network in a lot of cases. So if right. we were to come at it with, you know, exploits on them, running exploits, it would take them down. Now we've just taken some small city who probably doesn't even have an IT uh, person on staff, you know, they're, they're, they outsource everything to the local guy. So we do that for the that small and medium size. Although we do, I just finished one up uh, last week where we had, you know, a little over 5,000 machines in their environment. And so, you know, a little bit richer environment there with more resiliency built in. It, if, uh, let's say I brought somebody to you that had, let's call a 75 workstation, 75 users. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, let's, let's make it a law firm just for fun. Can you give me just a basic idea on, you know, how long would it take you to run one of these pen tests and what would somebody expect to pay for that? Is that something you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the pay, is, I'll, I'll caveat everything I say on the the price range because it uh, depends. Sure. If you are in the country, you know, okay. in Atlanta okay. or a DC for that same size, scope and complexity is going to be a whole lot different than rural Tennessee. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. You know, out here where I'm at in the country. So it's, it's a whole different ballpark. And same thing with incident response. If I go to Chicago for incident response, there's, you know, the, the hourly rate on that is a lot different than, you know, somebody sending me a hard drive and, and me going through it. Sure. That type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with regards to the pen test, the window on that is usually a three week window. And, okay. and, you know, from when we start, and our, our kickoff date, we'll have a kickoff meeting, usually the Friday before we start that Monday. And that first Monday through Friday is what we call the OSINT phase, the open source intelligence collection. What can I learn about you as an organization and all the disclosure and the data? What we, If a bad guy were driving by and happened to see something about your organization and he decides, hey, I'm going to target them. What can I develop that's going to help me along the way to gain access and compromise your organization? And and then that starting up that second week is, you know, showing up on site, either flying out there, driving out there. And then 
for a lot of these small and mediums, it's a, you know, for a hundred machines. I mean, that's a day, day and a half, maybe on site. Uh, but a lot, most times it's two to three days on site for those small and mediums. And, uh, you know, we'll do the wireless inspection, do a wireless heat map to help them with their, there's some things that aren't really, you know, necessarily security related, but it's just, we're there, we've got the ability to do it and why not help them, you know, tighten up their security, but help them do some distribution of their, of their wireless signal. And everybody's always complaining about, you know, crappy wireless wherever we're at. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, looking at that crosstalk, that's the important thing for us between your wireless and your uh, terrestrial network. And private wireless. You might you might have a really nice, tight and, and disciplined network. But if you've got you feel like you need to have guest wireless out there and you're and it's just wide open and I can connect up from the parking lot and then see your, you know, your your mission systems in there. It's game over for you. Right. Um, and, you know, so we see that. And then we look for rogues, the, uh, you know, unintended, uh, kind of the uh, um, shadow IT type of stuff. You know, somebody just put a, a wireless access point in there because they don't want to sit at their desk. They want to sit out towards the window and, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, so that type of thing. But that's, a, you know, that week. And then when we leave, we take another week to do all the report writing and production of the deliverable. And then we also provide a little bit different than some of the companies that I, I know and deal with. We give them all the raw traffic. So as we're doing all the scanning, we give them all of that in a, in a package um, in case they are doing any monitoring or they have any interest in being able to kind of cross correlate any of that data with their systems. That way they can look and see, hey, when you know, on this date and time, there was an IP that was, you know, external and it was scanning. Oh, that was you, you know, on that week when we were doing that, that early collection, that type of thing. So we give them all that. And then we give yeah. those reports and we follow up with them about a week later to, to have the formal outbrief. Um, but we really close that window, you know, on that deliverable, that's the three week window. Okay. And then we go through that the outbrief with them. We do a Zoom call a lot of cases because we're already back and and uh, walk through the ma- master report with them and address any questions they've had, you know, as they got a chance to look at it themselves. And, you know, in that, it's got the remediation strategy. So if they're not able to handle the remediation strategy themselves, then that, you know, becomes either follow-on work or making referrals and, hey, you know, call called Justin and his guys, they're down the road, they're local to you, and they can, you know, probably put some bandwidth on it. High and low, what what does something like this cost? This sounds pretty expensive. No, it, it, it really isn't in, in the grand scheme of things when you think about it in terms relative of what's it going to cost for, you know, incident response. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so, so the reality is, you know, for, you know, 100 machines, I mean, it may be, uh, and depending on where you're at regionally, it's it's between five and ten k for something like that, and and you know even up to you know a thousand machines in a lot of cases. I mean, we're still right about capping out at the ten k mark. That's actually way less than I thought. You start running into the 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 gov space and you know having to deal with all these RFPs and they you generate a lot of paperwork ahead of time. In the commercial market, it's, you know, hey, we have a cup of coffee. You want a pen test? Yeah, here's who we are. Check us out. And, you know, tomorrow we've got a three-page contract drawn up, you know, that lawyers are all in agreement with. And, you know, we put you on the calendar kind of thing. Yeah. 
So it's, it's, I, I love that commercial work. And then there's that, the gov community, you know, it's just, you know, you got to go out and get 400 quotes and all that stuff. And <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm good to process. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I think that gives us enough of an intro. <laughs> um, let's dig in. You, you gave me a couple of good case studies and this is really my favorite part because um, one of the frustrations in my job is like, I need to learn from other people so that I can prevent this stuff from happening. But short of being in the trenches and, and being involved in these incident responses, which, you know, I, I try to prevent them so I don't get there a lot of times. Uh, it's hard for me to learn from other people's mistakes because this stuff, well, I mean, like if I get hit, I'm hiding that shit from people. <laughs> I'm not going to go and publish it. I'm not going to tell people what, right? I mean, at least this is kind of the the general atmosphere of IT and cybersecurity. It's embarrassing and and it's a shaming environment if if something goes wrong. It's not like, you know, somebody breaks into my house and like beats up my family and steals my stuff. Man, I'm a victim and people come flocking to support and oh, poor Justin, like how can we help you? But if my business gets broken into by Russian hackers, I'm an idiot. Like, why, how did you not see this coming? How did you not prevent it? What were you doing wrong? Right. So it's it's just this really weird environment. And then it makes it hard for us as IT consultants and cybersecurity specialists, um, short of being involved in those incident response plan or processes, it makes it hard for us to learn from from these situations. So that's what I love to dig into on the podcast is actual real world cases. What went wrong? How could it have been prevented? What was the damage done? Um, you know, what toll did it take? Stuff like that. So um, if if we could start with, you've got one about a fire department um, and I'm just going to let you roll with it. I'll probably ask questions, but tell me that story. Yeah. So, you know, spot on with what you're talking about. You lose a lot of credibility and industry credibility, no matter where you are, who, what your business space is. That's the the big challenge. There are a lot of requirements these days for reporting, uh, mm -hmm. getting out where you're at in the gov space or the or even private sector now, especially if you're in the financial space, you've got some SEC record, uh, reporting requirements as well. But that is the challenge that wasn't there, you know, five, 10 years ago in a lot of cases. And so, right. uh, you know, when people ask for references for pen tests, it's easy to give those because people are okay. Hey, yeah, we, we've got, you know, we got another look, we got another set of eyes looking at us. But if they say, hey, can you give me a reference for somebody that you dealt with with ransomware? And I said, well, I'll ask a few and ask them if they are okay with making the connection. But in most cases, you know, that's not something they're putting on their website, you know, other than their public disclosure, if they had to, you know, mandatory. Nobody's putting that on there. Call us up. We'll tell you about who helped us out. You know, and they're not doing that. No, nobody wants to admit it. Yeah. So with with the fire department, uh, this is a case that that took place back in uh, last quarter of last year. Um, and, you know, everybody thinks and, and recognizes ransomware and, you know, you can't turn the news on without hearing about data breach. It automatically goes to ransomware. But we all get these emails and yeah, that's shifting, that's right? Where ransomware is shifting to BEC, which is, I think, where you're going, right? The business absolutely. Is BEC yeah. is just blown past ransomware. You know, right. I think it's something like two two trillion dollars, uh, or two in the two billion. I'm sorry, two billion uh, last year alone, uh, where ransomware was, you know, nowhere near that. 
number, you know, in the in the United States. I mean, globally. because and here's my theory on why. I'll go to a, a prospect and say, hey, we want to come in and, and protect your network and protect your data. And they'll look me square in the eye and say, I don't have anything to protect. Yeah. I don't have anything for them to come after. Um, because in a ransomware attack, maybe they're ac- maybe they're true. Maybe they just really don't know what they're talking about and they do have. Um, but now my counter question is, do you have a bank account? Yeah. Because that's what they're coming after, right? That's what these BEC attacks are all about. So that's that's what happened in the fire department, right? Was uh yeah, email it's, green. It, it's it's email compromise and you know the fake invoices you know if you're right they may not compromise your network and your email may not be compromised but somebody that you're doing business with was compromised and now i see this vendor that is you know their email was not protected with two-factor authentication and so it's pretty easy these days when you see those data leaks out there their password is leaked somewhere where they've signed up for services and it's leaked in clear text. Pick the company. They're dumped a few times a year in a lot of cases. <laughs> and so your vendor uh, for, in this case, for fire department equipment sa- sales, they do all kinds of sales to the fire and healthcare and the whole nine yards. They've got all these these clients. And so now you're one of those clients and these the fire department that we're dealing with was and they're used to getting invoices from them. So their accounts payable folks know what the invoices look like and they see them regularly. And here's just another invoice. They spent, you know, 160,000 plus on uh, some equipment and here comes an invoice in and it's a regular invoice and it's from the legit vendor. And they look at it and file it, you know, as they put it in the queue and the, attacker is watching this and they say, hey, we just saw an invoice go out and they're waiting on that strategic moment. Usually it's a couple days before payroll or, you know, end of month or mid month when they send invoices out. And now they've watched that vendor send it to the target, the fire department. And so they went out right away and they started registering domains that were similar to the vendor and similar to the target. And, and real quick, let me, let me, and you, I apologize. You may have already said this, but you say they're watching. How are they? Wa- did you already say how they're watching? If you Yeah. Did. So they're, they're in the vendor's email, right? And so then, oh, you, that's right. You started with that. They've compromised yeah. the vendor's email. Yeah. And if you okay, think okay. about this, you can log into your email from your phone, right. your yeah. iPad and a couple different computers. So they're doing that. They're logging into their outlook yeah. from, from a web-based, right? OA. And they're just sitting back. They're not doing Learning. anything malicious. They're just watching for the good yeah, email. Yeah, yeah. Go, there you go. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's one that's, a you know, close to a couple hundred thousand dollars and we're going to make a little money off of this. And what they'll do is they've got their processes already in place to pay it. And right before payday, they'll send, you know, another email or something and say, Hey, I'm going to, or if they say, I'm going to change our, our billing process, we're going from ACH to wired uh, transactions now or vice versa, or we're going to give you different routing numbers. Um, a lot of cases, they won't even think about it. This is where that policy procedure comes in place. If anybody changes your billing process, counts payable folks, they're the high value target. You know, they should be on the phone with them. They go, Hey, Justin, you know, uh, you and I have been working together for several years and how are we, 
why are we changing this now? What's the deal? And then, you know, it just forces that known person to talk to a known person with a known voice and right. and uh, confirm it. And if it's legit, it's legit. These cases, it's seldom legit. And they'll put that pressure. Hey, we're running. You know, we're trying to get this invoice paid. It's back due, you know, 30 days or, or you know, overdue for however long it is. Especially if they, they know that, you know, through their OSINT uh, collection that they've got a new accounts payable person mm. on, their, on their staff because they posted out on LinkedIn. So glad to start working for this company. <laughs> hey, look at my badge and look at all the good chotskis they gave me when I checked in. And now I got a picture of their badge, even if I wanted <laughs> physical access. But to, to bring it back is, uh, uh, you know, they send them that hasty email and we need to get this paid by three o'clock almost textbook that should be the big red flag and so they go through and they they uh commit that wire uh transaction and ach just for sense of discussion piece ach is not quite as concerning in a lot of these cases as wire fraud or wire transactions ach is is much easier to be pulled back what's uh, the time frame on an ach how how much time do you have to pull that back ACH is usually a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Uh, okay. In that window. Yeah. Okay. Wire, Why they, ask like... you, they ask you 15 different ways, you know, you sure these routing numbers are correct. Yep. You're not being coerced and there's no duress. And they're asking, yes, yes, just, just send me, send the dang money, you know? And they're, they're very cautious about it. Once they click it, it's gone. And, and mostly the window for, for uh wire transaction is 48 hours. And if you are able to stumble back and, and catch it in time, and then you reach out to your financial institution, um, then you know, you've got a much better chance. But after that 48 hour window, I've been doing this a long time and I've only had two cases in probably the last 15 years alone that were able to get any money back on wire transaction after, you know, a a week long window type. I'm surprised it's 48 hours. I I thought it was more like 24 and even then I wasn't sure. So that's, that's actually better news than I thought, honestly. Yeah. And just real quick, oh. FDIC is not helping anybody, right? Like, no, they're not. No, that's a misconception. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and they'll, they'll take record of it. Yep. Yeah, sure. Okay. And, and yeah. that's really it. And, you know, the secret service and FBI, they've got the IC3, dot gov reporting you report through there then the local agent will reach out and they'll pass it off to the secret service because they've got financial transaction leads and stuff like that but in a lot of cases uh they've really not been productive uh until just the last year or two and they've got the um the uh rat team with the fbi um, the, was it remote access team? I think they call it what a weird acronym, right? Rat. Yeah, okay. But, um, they've actually a recovery, uh, asset team and they've actually had some really good success and they, they made some great relationships, uh, you know, through all their, their contacts and effort in the last few years. But, um, in this case in particular, uh, the one benefit was, you know, so they paid out this $160,000, invoice which ended up being fraudulent so they they wire it to the new bank um the account was stood up yesterday and all of a sudden money is being transacted into that account fortunate for them the 
financial institution that it was transacted to, they had been hit with wire fraud in the recent months. So they're on high alert for any of those indicators for them. And they've got their own tags that they watch. And so they kind of delayed that money because they had instructions. As soon as that money hit the bank and that account, they were supposed to forward it to another institution. And that right. becomes another secondary flag. And it's like, all right, these are all kind of lining up now. And so they stalled things and now that worked to their benefit in this. Right. And so fast forward now, um, a, uh, a few weeks later, the institution gets a real invoice again, and, and they're contacted by the vendor saying, hey, you know, we're still waiting on that invoice. They go, I already paid that invoice. Oh, no. And they're going, wait a minute. And so now now they're having, they're all on the phone with each other. And But the weird thing is, on, on this case, and this was, I've only worked one case where they, they've had the phone call on this, and, and I'm hearing this is more and more common. They, on that change of invoice, they, they put contact information, different phone number, and they spoofed the phone number and everything on there. And they used the same name as the point of contact at the vendor. And they did call them and they had a conversation with who they thought was the yeah. vendor right. itself. Yeah. And so that that helped reassure them that this is legit. Um, that's that's taking it to the next level. And I've got to give them props for for that. Uh, on that piece, but the, but what I've seen and I've heard is is that some of these other cases, when they reach back out and they say, you know, we got a policy in place, we need to check it out. They're calling the number that's provided on the invoice or the email, and they're calling, yeah. you know, Spiffy in the bad yeah. guy's office, yeah. who's answering the phone, you know, as the vendor. You need. Yeah, this to, is what I tell my back to your own contact list, and you call right. your own right. vendor or their vote known business card that number. That you've already got. I make sure people, if there's a, even whether it's a change, like you're pointing out, which is a huge red flag, a change in billing information, or it's a first contact, like, hey, here's here's how to pay. I tell people to never call from the invoice that they give you. Reach out, not a, and do it. Like, if you got the information through email, then don't respond through email. Go through another a media type or another communication type, like phone, text, Whatever, yeah. if it came in through them, whatever, just use a different use channel of communication yeah. and find that contact information somewhere else. Yeah. So it's that verification piece of it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, that saves you a whole lot of heartache in that end. And, and once you wrap your head around that, then it, it makes it a lot easier. The other thing that they did, which was a little bit different, was they had you know determined a bunch of other companies around that area that the vendor was dealing with and they found a a healthcare company close by that they saw communications between all three of them by looking through their email so they they went to a domain registrar again this is i think they 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 were using iceland the whole time um or overseas the same one and they stood up a uh, a domain that was close to this healthcare vendor Made it look a lot like theirs. You know, you can easily change a, an I to an L and, you right. know, do everything in caps and it looks pretty close or a one and L and people don't catch it all the time or two V's, that yeah. kind of thing for a W. Well, they sent an invoice from, you know, a spoofed invoice from the victim to the 
vendor and, or vice versa from the the um, second vendor healthcare. Yeah, over to to them for another forty thousand dollars, trying and sending it to the same bank, trying to make it look like it was the healthcare people now sending them an invoice, and and so it started falling apart uh, at that point. And then you know when their IT guy reached out to me and says, "Hey, we've already done some." some triaging ourselves. We determined that our stuff isn't compromised. We reached out to the vendor and of course the vendor's ITs, you know, it's not ours. Ours is locked down straight. You know, and it's like, Hey, do you, you know, my questions when I ask you, do you have two factor authentication right off the bat? And not everybody, you know, most do and not everybody. I said, well, that you're kind of pregnant. So, you know, you're either all or gone, is kind of thing. And, and so people who know me, they know I use that weird vacular. It's, you know, you click it and you're pregnant. And it's really easy to get pregnant. It's real hard to get unpregnant. Yeah. And, and in these cases, try to determine, you know, exactly who it was, unless you can do forensic analysis. And so now you get lawyers involved and, and you know, kind of, uh, um, uh, freezing data and you you get a a you know a letter issued where we they, they can make sure that they're not overriding data and you know letter of preservation so that that we can you know pull forensics if we need to or at least go back to a certain point in time uh, but in this case here it was um, helpful that the bank had had that issue a few months prior they were on high alert and we got word about a month later that they received all but about $1,500 back. I was going to ask, okay, so this is a good, like this is a positive outcome situation. It was, and it was, I was really surprised because yeah. quite frankly, they were already making plans to, you know, they had filed with their insurance carrier and they were looking for compensation to be able to make payment on this. And they were out that 160 K wow. and, you know, they got the stars lined up for them. This is a yeah, fair, yeah. you know, not the way it usually happens, but I will, I'll point out though, even if you get the money back or in a ransomware case, even if you get your data back, you've still lost days, weeks, months of productivity, yeah. of billable time, of emotional duress. Like you can't even function in your normal capacity when you're dealing with something like this. And yeah, you. when you're thinking about it as well, okay, great, we got our money back. Did we determine exactly how they got in and who right. patient zero was on the compromise? Was it vendor email? Was it your email that they just didn't draw a lot of attention to, you know, they, maybe they compromised a vendor as a result of you. So you have to go through and do some deep cleaning and, yeah. and confirmation. That's why, you know, logs, logging is so important being able to, uh, attribute, you know, where the, uh, you know, the compromise, uh, originated because if you just, Hey, we'll just go ahead and patch and log in and turn up MFA. we that's probably going to be okay. It may have been that you have a printer that's broadcasting open Wi-Fi. I don't care how much MFA you've got in your network. If it's a trusted device and somebody can sit in the parking lot and sniff your network, it's game over. Well, so here's a an, one of the most interesting points I learned about these cyber attacks is these guys, they're just businesses. And most, now we're going to get into another one here shortly where it wasn't. And it was a lot of times we think that these hackers are like, you know, some 30-year-old dude in his mom's basement in his underwear, you know, eating a bag of potato chips. That's not the case. These guys are, they're organized businesses. 
they they're punching a time clock. They've got paid vacation. Like these are this is organized and it's business. They they operate on about a twenty percent profit margin, as last I heard. So I mean, it's legit in their minds, and they function like any other business does. And one of the key things in business is client acquisition cost is really high. So we like repeat customers. Yeah. And so if I can figure out how to get into your network, Tony, um, I'm coming back for round two and three and four. We see it all the time with ransomware cases. They'll leave little artifacts. Not only will they leave a Bitcoin miner in there because they're going to use your resources. Oh, crap. They've got a lot of horsepower out here. We're going to go ahead and mine some coins in the background. And so you're watching for that outbound traffic as well. And it, and if they found that these people aren't monitoring their network, they don't have a lot of the uh, the ERP stuff, and they don't have a lot of endpoint management at all, then they're going to leave a little value add. They're going to leave a little time bomb in there that they can trigger at some point and come back six months down the road once you've you've kind of exhaled and relaxed. We're yeah. coming back at you, and that's why when you know, all right, now that we got everything back up. We're good to go. It says, no, no, no. Now you need to carve off your critical data. You need to start popping drives and start rebuilding critical infrastructure. That's why there's so costly of a recovery piece of it because right. you, you can't just patch your OS that they got into and and say that you're good because that back door may still lie uh, there. And, and even if it doesn't, they've done all the intel. So you talked about in your pen test, the first thing you do in week one is you're just gathering information about people. Yeah. Right? You're learning how to hit them and where to hit them, yeah. why, and what their emotional trigger points are. Like this is, that's where a lot of the work is done. Yeah. And now they have that. So they're going to come back and hit you even harder, or at least it, it's an easier target, right? Yeah. There's Fred in accounting and he's got 300 social media accounts out there. He's Mr. Social Butterfly. And <laughs> right. everywhere he signs up, he uses that same, you know, summer 2023 password. And he just changes the season and the year every year for the last four years. I can guarantee I know what his password is going to be come fall. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. And right. so you just lie dormant waiting for him again uh, in, in those cases. And he becomes that that avenue in. And if, if you don't have that multi-factor, I mean, that's not the end-all be-all to anything. No, but it's a huge step. Those are those things that, you know, help you not end up in the in the breaking news that's that's my mantra where you're talking to your clients about being unhacked and that type of thing uh you know and you your focus is protected and that's what we do that's the same kind of thing it's it's all about how you know, the focus is you know you don't want to wake up and be on the breaking news Stay on the news right yeah yeah um, yeah okay so let's uh let's shift gears a little bit um and let's go over this the next one you have on there has to do with the school um, and sadly, schools are big targets. They're, I mean, we just see them getting hit over and over, right? Yeah, and it is sad because I, I deal with a lot of school districts, and they, you know, they vary all over the map. From you know, small school districts still have a lot of students because a district level has has you know, a couple of elementary schools, a couple of middle schools, maybe a high school, and maybe maybe five high schools over a. a spread region. And so there may be 10, 15,000 students, you know, as a ballpark average in a lot of these districts that we're dealing with. And um, there's a lot of kids who are pretty tech savvy these days. They've grown up with, you know, something digital in their hand. And there's kids that are, you know, three years, four years old, you know, in the shopping cart, 
playing games on there already to keep them busy while you're shopping. And they become very intuitive. They, they learn a lot more than their, their computer technology teacher, or usually a math teacher. They kind of gave them an additional duty as you're the, you're the tech teacher, you know? Yeah. yeah. And these kids are sitting back in the back. They're, they're hacking. They, they, they're building code. And now with chat GPT, they doesn't have to take much talent to be able to write code. Now you just have to prompt well. And, and, uh, so these kids have a lot of capability, but in a lot of cases, the kids just have ill intent. They may not have ability. And that's the case of what I was talking to you about was these kids had a lot of intent, but they didn't have ability. So they did know how to surf around on the internet and they know how to get on the dark web and they knew how to go to some of these dark markets, uh, that are on the dark web. And it's just like Amazon. If you want to go buy, um, new backpack you start talking about the features of your backpack and you can find it on amazon or any of those other like services you can do that on dark markets um for pretty much anything what kind of drug are you after what kind of credit card do you need do you know do you need valid do you need overseas or here do you need hacking services and you can hire a hacker hackers as a service to perform ransomware attack or, you know, a, a wide variety of attacks. Do you need to hack my girlfriend's social media account? You know, so I can get, and that's a big question, you know, all the time. Can you hack my girlfriend's Facebook or boyfriend's yep. Facebook? Wow. <laughs> yeah. They, they get blanked out really quick when that's the first question. Hang on, I got a tech question for you. Like, yeah, you get it. <laughs> but, but the, it, it all seriousness. So this was, this was, uh, Northeastern United States up there and, and it was during COVID and, uh, everybody was working remote, kind of draw you back to it. Everybody was working remote. Schools were all remote, you know, homeschooling and the whole nine yards for that period, but they were all doing everything online. Well, and- unfortunately, when everybody rushed to the remote movement, we took security seriously, right? It, no. <laughs> yeah, that was an afterthought at best, right? They said, wait a minute, if you think about it, a lot of people went home on Friday. Yeah, look at the dates. And they were told they can't come back into the office on Monday. Everybody's going to have to be remote. We're not allowed to come in. Like, right. well, my computer's there. Go run to Walmart. Go run to, to, to uh, um, Best Buy or wherever and go buy a laptop. and Or use your own. We'll use the one that yeah. kids are using. Use your own home system. Yeah. And we'll open up RDP and let yeah. everybody and yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, they didn't do a good job of figuring it out. <laughs> My business blew up. I bet it you did. Know, I was on a plane. Me and this one guy were on the plane every Friday or every Monday out, every Friday back out of Knoxville Airport. We're the only two on these planes. <laughs> and it was kind of crazy because if you ever gone through Dallas, Fort Worth Airport, landing at 10 in the morning and it's a ghost town nobody was in there and you know i've never been in dallas without it being a oh yeah a no it's crazy here why it's every week <laughs> and, and and i was like and this is kind of creepy but you got used to it because it was like man i didn't have any delays i don't think i had a delayed flight that whole time <laughs> and first grade up first class upgrades were easy to come by too yeah yeah they were they were always guaranteed then but all kidding aside so everybody was working remote these kids went on to uh, a site. I mean, I, I learned this site at the time. It's called Undermarket too on the on the dark okay. websites out there, and you can get lots of different things out there. And hacking services, one of them. And they they uh, reached out to one of the the groups, and Hack and Crack was the group. These sites are like 
social media sites and it's like Yelp. Um, you know, they've got Yelp ratings. They've got the they've got the good review ratings. And so they've got the the uh, ratings from people who have bought their services. So you're they've got a nine point two rating. I, I pulled it up this morning. And, and so they've got a nine point two rating right now. And so, you know, when you're looking for hacking services. That's pretty good. Right. You're, you're right. Oh, wow. And 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 so uh, their menu, when you pull it up, was that you could hire them to do a distributed denial of service attack, a DDoS attack against public facing uh, servers or a school uh, you know, website or, or that, you know, a specific machine or an address or whatever that might be. And for those not familiar with distributed denial of service attack, there's lots of machines that have been compromised over the world and throughout the world. And they are just sitting there waiting for a, a command and control um, 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 I have a, a brain cramp here, but they're waiting for the command to Just the signal, right? Yeah, yeah. An address, yeah. Alpha cry. Let's go. It might be it might be printer. It might be your router. It might be an, an HVAC. Anything that's internet connected, cameras, any of that stuff, TVs, and they just shoot traffic towards a specific address. And if you imagine, you you see it all the time, like with with concert uh, servers when they're, you know, somebody opens up the window right. for concert tickets and all of a sudden they crash because they just got overwhelmed. Everybody's trying to get on at once. That's what that is. It just denies anybody else that service. And so what these kids did was they, for $99, they pulled their money together. And for $99, they bought a distributed denial of service attack for three days on their school's servers, um, their, on, on their uh, VPN router for uh, the period that they were going to do uh, finals. And they were all doing their finals on a certain day, starting that certain day. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, here's a great idea. We'll go ahead and crash our own school server. That way we can't take our finals. I don't know what their mindset was. I mean, that, okay, we'll never have to take finals. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, these are... But, we were talking about teenagers. I mean, <laughs> I know, and 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 they're their own worst enemy because yeah. that's how they were outed. But uh, but I'll tell that in a minute. But anyway, so it worked out as planned. The morning of the of the finals, everybody was all ready to take the tests and get online and DDoS attack. Everything went down, and then phone calls were being made. Other people were on different. You know, they're jumping on their own chat channels that that they communicate in their own social media. It was like servers are down and they all got notified that they were having an issue with technical difficulties. Please stand by. And so for three days, they they didn't come back up and then they rescheduled it uh, a few days right, right. down the road next week. Nobody thought uh, that through. huh? <laughs> meanwhile, you know, as teens do, they start coming up with grandiose ideas of, hey, we're, you know, oh, what, do you, what do you think happened? Oh, I heard it was a hack and oh, I didn't hear that. And then, you know, uh, all of a sudden it was, oh, you know who I think it was? And that became who it was. And it was the wrong person. And people were giving credit to the wrong person in the school. And these kids were on one of their their uh, channels that they, they communicate with in one of their clicks and said, no, it wasn't him. I, and then he told on himself, him and his three buddies. And geez, yeah, you're your own worst enemy. It's ego. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that, that was really how it, it played out. Yeah. Uh, and, 
and you got evidence of those logs in the chat channels. And when they, you know, they pulled them in to, to question them, they, they crumbled and, and kind of told on themselves, um, with that. But, you know, those are significant crimes. Now the, the penalties that associated with those types of crimes in a lot of cases, you know, depends on your record, depends on your right. history and, and those types of things. And so that all plays a factor in there. And, and a lot of people will argue that the crimes don't necessarily, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And in cyber world, it, it seldom does. Right. Right. Well, I mean, usually it's hard to find these guys. It, because yeah. so if, if these kids hadn't outed themselves, do you think they would have been caught? Uh, probably not because it was coming from overseas, all right. the, the attacks and they've been pretty successful in some of their attacks. And it's really difficult. Like when we're monitoring like Bitcoin transactions or when we're, we're actually negotiating the, the discussion with, uh, the ransomware gangs for payment, we're trying to negotiate them down. We're recording everything and we're doing full packet capture it just in case their vpn drops for a millisecond and their ip changes and then it goes back up if we can catch that millisecond in a lot of cases if they're only on a you know a single stage vpn then maybe we'll have a little bit of luck and it's you know the kid next door kind of thing as opposed to somebody overseas but as, as much as you know i love the my brothers and sisters in the law enforcement community, uh, you know, when you see the DOJ issue, you know, standing warrants for four, uh, you know, known hackers in North Korea, you know, they, they have a big pomp and circumstance or, you know, and show of it. You're going, that's all for show because do you think those four are ever going to, you know, come to Disney or anything like that? Right. And, uh, go on vacation for you to arrest them. Nobody's going to extradite them. So this is what's terrifying about it, really. Like, you've got, um, I think earlier in the in the earlier days of hacking, you you had to have a pretty intense skill set, right? Yeah. Um, you had to have resources. You had to have money. You had to have knowledge. And today, like, what's terrifying about this particular example is we've got children who can go on the dark web. They can buy a service for a whopping ninety nine dollars that can effectively take down a network. Yeah. Now in this case, okay, fine, I just pushed the exam back a week. It wasn't, there, there wasn't a, a super malicious intent, neither was there a super negative outcome. Um, but it could have been, it could have been much worse. And yeah. we've got monkeys with loaded guns out there that no, need no skill set. they need no, like a hundred bucks. That's it. Yeah, and in, in a lot of cases, it's absolutely free. You can go out there on the dark web. Right. You can download some of those tools. Sure. And they'll literally crash and destroy, corrupt a server. And, you know, yeah. now you're paying thousands of dollars in repairs and you're down for weeks at a time. And, you know, I just came off of a VPN, you know, out of Uganda and you'll never right. give it back to me. You know, the time so it's untraceable, right? Even in a lot of cases, it is. Yeah. And, and even if it's traceable, most of the time it's unenforceable because like you said, it's not like we're going to go over to Korea or to Russia and grab these guys. Yeah. A lot of them are paying off their own government. So one of the things I learned about the the business model of hacking is that one of their line items on the P&L is protection from their government yeah. to do these things, right? And and they work very well together. They're better entrepreneurs than we are in right. the 
above ground business community. You know, everybody's so worried about being a competitor in the business community and making sure that they get their own in the underground and and the criminal circles. If they don't have an exploit, but they're up against a certain, yeah, hey, there's an updated server that I don't have the exploit. I've got the 1.0, but I need the 2.0. Oh, I've got that. Hey, let me let me get that and I'll give, you know, I'll trade you this. Right. And they work together very well. Hey, I'll give you 10% of my my key. Oh, no problem. Then they keep, you know, they share their purse and, and work very well together because, yeah. you know, Depending on where you are in that food chain, you know, the ones who are directing traffic, kind of the shot callers, they've got the folks who are down that food chain. And all their job is to do is to to create that that connection and, and you know, get somebody to bite on that email or whatever that is. Um, and they get paid for every one. They're not getting paid for the overall job. And then, you know, it kind of takes a step up and depends on where they are on that ladder um, a lot of cases, I mean, they work so well together. It's it's scary. I mean, the odds are not in our favor in this case. Absolutely. And that's tough because so, we, we follow the, the rules and laws right. and they don't have that. And right. if they're state sponsor, like you said, if they've got the the backing of, uh, you know, their foreign law enforcement or state, they're... You're, you're, you're not getting them. Pre-raised, yeah. Yeah. So I... My my goal, like I said, with this is with this podcast is to educate. Um, I people aren't going to be able to fully recover from something if it happens. Um, but what I find in you know we we have to scare people to get them to take action. But I never want to scare people to the point where they just think all is lost. There's nothing we can do. Why try? And that's the balance that I try to find here. And you know we've got a couple of cases here. Luckily that fire department got their money back. But like you pointed out, that's rare. I've personally been involved in two BEC attacks with my clients where the money was not recoverable. One was $50,000 and it was a business. The other one was $10,000 and it was personal. It was a, an employee of a client who was trans- transacting with a contractor. The contractor got breached, um, sent the same thing like you said. They send an invoice with, hey, by the way, remember how we were going to pick up a check? Could you use these wire instructions instead? And sure, no problem. Here it is. Because it came for it wasn't like a spoofed email. It was the email of the contractor because they got in. We had that conversation. So they're going, Yeah, Yeah. I remember the conversation. Right. Right. And that was gone. Money gone. We got involved. We tried to help, but there was nothing we could do at that point. And this was during COVID. And like I know this 24 slash 48 hour rule. Uh, we didn't hear about it until we were past that. But we told them, like, call your bank immediately. It's probably not going to help. And the bank said, we are, if I remember right, I think they said that they were six weeks out from even being able to investigate because there was so much fraud going on. Six weeks. I mean, it's game over. And it was. So you've got this poor family, young family, trying to do work on their home. And now they're out 10 grand. Families don't have 10 grand to give away. Right. So I want to make people aware that these are real issues. They are real problems. You cannot fully recover from them. There's always some sort of damage that you're going to take with you. Um, but there is hope. And, and so, Tony, one of the things that I preach, and I want you to check my math on this, is that we don't need, and maybe we already, I can't remember if we talked about it before we started recording or after, so maybe this is repeat, but that's fine. But we don't have to have huge budgets. We don't have to do a like there are basic things that are going to prevent most of these attacks. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, you know, that it's a short list. 
So go over that. I heard you talk about multi-factor authentication multiple times. I heard you maybe allude to training being a key piece, you know, processes, procedures, SOPs, whatever you want to call it. But when something happens, we know how to respond to that. Um, those are the two that I picked up on. What is this short list of things people can do to to get, at least not be low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah. And, and every time I give a talk or I'm talking to to clients or, or, or groups, lawyers, or all like that, they're always that, you know, what's that little, that short list of things that everybody needs to be thinking about and doing that that helps them sleep at night. And for my short list, it's it's build that resilient backup strategy and recovery strategy. You know, you, you're making your backups, your three-tiered backups, and you practice the recovery. That's where you give a lot of the anxiety to your IT team. So yeah, sure, we're doing backup. We, we invested in a backup strategy, pick the name of it, and they've never pulled it back and, and, and run the recovery on it. And so there's a lot of anxiety when you have to go to work that day yeah. and and you've been compromised. So build a resilient backup strategy and and practice your recovery. The MFA, enable MFA on everything that you can. If it's got the ability to enable it, enable it. And uh, that's where you get a lot of pushback because, you know, you know MFA is hard and I don't want to put uh, an app on my phone um, because that's my personal phone. You got to give me a business phone and, and, you know, well, how bad do you want to work? Here's my mindset. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you know what else is hard is recovering from ransomware. So if you want to be the, the reason why we got hit with ransomware. Yeah. And, uh, and you can't do it, you know, for all departments, but one it's everybody or, you know, you're, you're vulnerable. And then lock down those appliances. You know, that's the third one is, is when you, Deploy something in the environment, take out the default passwords. They all, you know, they all ship from the factory with default passwords in there. We all know what they are. The bad guys all know what they are. It's easy to find them. And Google knows what they are. Yeah, exactly. And really so easy. Yeah. First thing anybody looks for. And then it creates that, you know, wide open back door. And then update and patch. You got to make sure that you've got a regular cycle of updating and patching. And when you update from, you know, Windows 10 to a Windows 11 or from Windows 7 to 10, take off the seven versions because now those vulnerabilities are still persisting on that machine. And I can use a Windows 7 exploit on a 10 box to compromise that machine because it's still there. People are afraid to remove those old packages in a lot of cases. So that's a, a easy end. And then, like you mentioned, the incident response plans and the policies and procedures and have those things in place and perform those self-assessments yourself and third-party assessments. Have somebody come in and, like you said, look over your shoulder. We call it, you know, another set of eyes. Right. And, uh, you know, you become complacent with the sounds that your car makes every day. Somebody else sits in your car to go, man, it's not like you got your, your timing is off, you know, or something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I hear it every day. Same thing with your network. Well, I mean, it's terrifying. I live in this world and I don't know what, like, how much, where are my blind spots? Because like I said in the beginning, we have them. Uh, I, you've got to have so many times, um, we'll, we'll meet with a prospect and they're just like, well, we've got a good it company. They have us protected. I'm like, really? What are they doing? Well, I don't know. You know, like yeah. what? And, and then, then they go to the it company who's protecting them and say, Hey, well, what are you doing to protect yourself and them? And I have somebody that take a look at me. I, I have somebody right. in my network too. They, I mean, um, um, up here, we kind of look at each other sure. because it's another set of eyes. I can do a pen test on myself, but I also, 
will discount some things. Oh, I know why that's there. You know, I'll, I'll write it off as I know why that's there. Yeah. But yeah. somebody else will give me a fairer shake than I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to kind of wind this thing down. I had a thought and I just lost it. So maybe it comes back, maybe not. Um, but that's fine. But I, I wanted to kind of end on, I love stories. Um, and one of the things that really kind of caught my attention in your bio, uh, you've done some cool stuff. Um, but you mentioned specifically your involvement during the 9-11 attacks. Would you, will you share that story real quick? Sure. I, I was blessed, I guess, in, in throughout my career as an agent and and found myself during the last portion of my federal career um, uh, serving at the White House. I was the counterintelligence operations officer at the White House from 1998 to 2004 when I retired. So last half of Clinton administration, first half of Bush 43. And um, I traveled all over the world. I went to 94 countries while I was there. I've been to 97 oh. over my course of my lifetime, but we traveled 71 trips to 94 countries over there, wherever the president was going to travel, we would travel in advance and, and things like that. And on 9-11, we were planning the, the um, summit in uh, Shanghai, China uh, during that period, which was going to take place. And, and I was working with one of the, the technical teams there on sweeping the hotel and everything. So we were on a phone call and and all of a sudden, you know, that that took place, uh, the, the first plane hit and Brad and I are kind of looking and say, oh, dang, somebody must have really, you know, steered wrong and they're not following their instruments or anything. And then when that second plane hit, you know, life went sideways. And um, anyway, the long story short, because I, I give a 9-11 talk every year, you know, for the thing. So it's a lengthy, drawn out process. But um we started evacuating the White House and, and evacuating the offices and the extended staff offices and the old executive office building and, and kind of pushing the onion out. And I grabbed 10 sat phones, uh, satellite phones at the time, because I knew phones were probably going to go down and, you know, whatever it was. And they were hollering in the hallways that we're a target and there's other planes that are up there. So, you know, everybody knows the kind of the history of them bringing all air flights, uh, air, you know, all flights were being grounded with the exception of a few. And so we're pushing the onion out. And I checked in with the emergency operations center uh, down the basement of the White House in the shelter, uh, let them know where I was and where our team was. And they recalled me back in. Uh, they said, we need to marry you up with Mrs. Bush. She was meeting with Senator Kennedy up at the Capitol that morning is when she was scheduled to meet with him, have a, have a discussion. So I jumped in a car with uh, Secret Service and they jammed up Pennsylvania Avenue at about 150 miles an hour, which is kind of cool because you don't ever drive that fast in DC, even even on a motorcade. But anyway, I was white knuckling it up and, and um, they dropped me off at the backside, went up there and I married up with her and we extracted her out. We took her to a safe house. And, um, uh, you know, made sure that she was taken care of. And, and one of the things that she told me right away was, you know, I need to make sure that all my team, I'm going to need six helicopters for my team or my staff to evacuate out. And she wanted six Blackhawk helicopters. Oh, wow. We already got word that, that the vice president was going to motorcade to his evacuation site if we needed to move him from the White House. He was down in the shelter in, in the White House. And, and uh, of course, president was down in Sarasota 
uh, for for the, the meeting with the children. And, and I said, man, I, Secret Service lead, uh, Nick Trotta told me, he says, hey, you go in there and tell her she's not getting helicopters. <laughs> like, you, know, you got to break the news to her. Yeah, so I went in there, I told her that, and, and she was like, well, how are we going to get out? I said, the vice president's not even, you know, flying everybody's grounded right now and so anyway that that piece of it was was unnerving just because he was like oh crap here i go let me get fired guys see y'all right (laughs) not getting helicopters um and then a little while later she was worried about uh spotty and barney her her dogs and uh and uh socks there are not it wasn't socks um their, their cat too and so she wanted the dogs we only got the dogs so i sent somebody up there to take the dog. The only people running the White House above ground at the time were two dogs and a cat, <laughs> uh, living beings. And then so they crowded them up, put them in crates and brought them back. And so as he brought them back and gave them to her, she was in a little conference room. And there was this, there was this very nice Persian rug out in the hallway there. And she says, well, I'm, I'm, and she starts hooking him up with a leash. And I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to take him out back. They, they need to go potty, I'm sure. I'll handle it. Don't don't worry about the you. You can't be outside. Yeah, and right. Somebody sees you, all of a sudden they know where you're at. And so I grab him. I walk him around the corner. And there's a uniform Secret Service inside around that hallway in the corner. And this rug that probably cost more than my house um, <laughs> at the time. They they peed on that rug. Oh, no. right there. And I said. Somebody needs to clean that up. And <laughs> I got to walk back in there. And that just, you know, people say, what'd you do on 9-11? I said, I was the official dog walker <laughs> that morning. And uh, so it was just that, that that piece of chuppy. You find a little bit of humor in those yeah, anxious right, times. Right. Uh, and you're, but there's a there's a whole long, you know, series of events that took place that day. Long story short, um, when the president made his way back to the White House, Later that evening, we married her back up and brought her back and down the shelter. Um, you know, they got back together and went down that night. Only had to come up a few times when there was a few alerts that popped up and there was an unidentified aircraft in the in the space and thought the White House was under attack and brought them out and brought them down uh, downstairs. And, and uh, you know, it turned out to be one of ours, you know. Oh. Yeah. Around the White House, it was an F fifteen or or fourteen or something, but wow. anyway, so that was my day. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a hell of a day for a, a, a cybersecurity guy. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I was a counterintelligence agent first, and then okay, I right, tracked, right. I tracked into yeah, cybersecurity yeah. crimes early in my career, where a lot of people committing okay. espionage were using computers to convey the the crime. And so that was how a lot of us got involved in it because we didn't have a forensics process way back then in the mid eighties. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of when, you know, all of a sudden you became more of a technical investigator and there's a handful of us who gravitated towards that. And, you know, it created a nice window of opportunity when you retire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm blessed and I just, you know, either the right place, wrong time, wrong place, right time. I don't know, but it, you know, we're fortunate to have been there. Yeah. Yeah. Help. Well, you, man, I, I, like I said in the beginning, you've been around the block and, and your resume has words in it. I don't even know. So, um, <laughs> dog walker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never done that before. Uh, so, 
Um, I, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, love breaking down these real events so that we can hopefully learn from them. You know, it, it is a scary world out there. Uh, 9-11 is a great example of just how vile people can be. Yeah. Uh, and and they'll, they're, they're after us for whatever reason. Usually it's money. Sometimes it's just maliciousness. But, um, you know, so this is, again, I just keep hammering this home. Um, bad things are going to happen. We have to at least be aware. I don't like scaring people, but sometimes we need that fear to take action. Um, but I always want to counter that with there are basic things we can do. There are so many. And, and these things that you listed off, they're basic. These are not expensive. Um, however, I can tell you, I can go out and audit a prospective client on those things right there. And I bet they're missing 90% of them. Yeah. And when they get to ready to renew their cyber liability insurance, if they if they don't already have it or if they yeah. have to go through and renew it, they're being compelled to enable Correct. MFA and do these very basic things now because before they weren't. And then, you know, some of the, the top shells of that pyramid for the, you know, the reinsurers across the country are mandating it because of right. all these attacks and the, and just the escalation over the last handful of years and they're having to pay out. Or or they don't pay out because you don't have these things in place, right? Yeah. Isn't that another thing that's happening? Cap down. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It's all because you're more risk, you're not getting as, as much, you know, right. you're going to eat the, those additional costs and that type right. of thing. So, yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up on that note. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for breaking this down with me. Uh, it's it's super important, critical stuff. It's basic solutions most of the time. And when things really, really get nasty, we call in people like you. So thank you for what you do there as well. Um, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. All right. All right. Well, we're going to wrap with that. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.